Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. It's a journey through the stories impacting rural economies and country lifestyles. Jay Madison's Rural America is also a production of Jefferson County Economic Development. Now here's Jay. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. I am your host, Jay Madison. Along with me is our co-host, the phenomenal, today he's phenomenal, Ron Robbins. (laughs) (laughs) That's an adjective I haven't heard before. uh... (laughs) We'll give it to you today, Ron, but just remember, uh, that can go as quickly as it came. Yeah, I know. Well, (laughs) put the pressure on here. Exactly. How are we doing, Jay? Doing we well. Doing, doing well. Uh, uh, just trying to get things done and keep up with everything. And uh, I'm not doing very well at that lately. So it's uh, it's been challenging. Sounds like you've had a lot going on in the North Country. Uh, I understand yesterday. Uh, I'll actually, by the way, be back up uh, uh, flying up Monday night. And uh, so then I hear I'm flying into a snowstorm, maybe, or a nor'easter. So, uh, yes, I, Ron, you're supposed to be bringing the warm weather and sunshine with you, but I'm for some reason I think you've got the hitch onto the Ron wagon there because yeah, it's not looking right. So, and you know, the, the weather down here in Florida that it's, it's been the hottest uh, February and early start to March here. and the old timers will say in 50 years, uh, very hot, very dry. There's a big ridge. Now, supposedly this nor'easter is going to move that ridge out, change weather patterns down here, and also potentially change uh, things for up north after this maybe one last uh, hurrah here of winter. So we'll see. Well, we, you know, we do need that, uh, that uh, mix up in the atmosphere um, so that we can kick kick winter out of here it's mid-march and yeah it's time yes. for it to go so maybe this maybe this like you said will uh, mix up that atmosphere and allow uh, allow the gulf stream to change and and bring some warmer weather in so uh, we will take it sorry to hear that it might not be as warm down in florida but i have a funny feeling people could use some rain down there Yes, yeah, it's actually been very, very dry, dry here. So, uh, and then you guys had a busy couple of days. The sports complex is in the news, I understand. And uh, yes, yes, uh, big news. Uh, you know, on the non-ag side here, uh, big news for uh, the North Country. The Thousand Islands Event Center. Uh, they brought in their head honchos this past week. And made the big announcement that they're they're you know proposing the event center a five hundred and what was it five hundred and sixty thousand square feet uh, indoor facility uh, that will include uh, an indoor turf field for soccer tournaments lacrosse tournaments and so on uh, indoor uh, hockey rinks three or two two sheets of ice potentially a third they're not sure about that. Mm-hmm. There will be an indoor track, tennis, basketball, uh, training facilities, just an incredible facility uh, overall. And then there will be outdoor athletic fields as well so that they can have tournaments uh, for soccer, lacrosse. You know, uh, even, mm-hmm. even, uh, even the head coach of the Watertown Red and Black was there last night taking a look at it because they could play football inside if they wanted to. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's not saying they're going to move out of the city, but it, it's 
tempting to take a look at. You never oh, know. Yeah, yeah. That's so, well, pretty exciting. So yeah, uh, it's it's a big project, eighty five million dollars. Uh, they're not there yet. Um, they've got they've got quite a ways to go. Uh, mm-hmm. But just the fact that um, far enough along that they brought in the big guy, uh, Mike Sherman, who owns Mike Sh- Mike Sherman Sports. Uh, Mike was the former head coach for the Green Bay Packers and the Miami Dolphins. Uh, he owns a company called MS2 Sports, and they build these facilities and operate them. They operate them uh, across the nation. They have a number of these facilities. So it's it's not just some little pipe dream. This This has gotten to the stage where it's big and there's a reality to it. So we'll see what happens. Could be pretty good. Well, as you, as you travel around the country, these uh, these sports complexes do pop up in you know what you might think strange locations, but uh, there's actually some real strategy behind it, I guess, in in placing them in places like Watertown or you know where it's close to interstates. It's uh, you know uh, half a day's travel from a lot of people. Uh, in our case, I guess it would mean Canada, New England, and you know Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania. Even with some, even you know, back when I was coaching baseball, uh, I can tell you that we would attract for our little baseball tournaments that we would have here in the area, and they were little because we were limited on the you know the number of field options. We would yeah. have teams from Montreal and Ottawa. In fact, my my son got invited to play on a Montreal a Montreal team a couple times. Um, they would come down to our little tournaments right here in Watertown, just as an example. So, um, yeah. if anybody out there is saying, "Oh, yeah, we'll never get teams. Why would teams come out of Canada?" Well, they already do for lacrosse, yeah. soccer, and baseball. So it's it's entirely possible, and you you know you take a look at what your son does, Jeff, with basketball. Yeah. Um, you know, imagine if he's got this facility that has the capability of supporting, you know, two or three games at a time. Uh, you know, that's that's huge. That's that's a big deal for being able to run tournaments like this. Oh, absolutely, and the demand is just super strong oh. nowadays. I mean. You know, Jeff, you mentioned Jeff. I mean, his camps uh, that he runs in the summer, I mean, he ends up turning kids away because they just don't have the space. Right. Right. Now they would have the space. Yeah. You know, this would definitely lend to him or anybody like him uh, being able to do these things. Then on top of all that, there's the, uh, the event side of things, you know, the trade shows that co- could come here, and we mm-hmm. don't we don't have a big enough facility to support the the bigger trade shows and stuff. Everything that we do has to be a micro show because we just don't have the floor space. This would provide that floor space. Concerts. Um, there would be an affiliation with Live Nation, one of the biggest concert promoters mm-hmm. in yeah. the nation. Um, and the facility could potentially, I believe they said, seat up to like eight, 9,000 people for a concert. Oh, wow. wow. So that's, uh, we could get that joint rocking around if we got up there and did yeah. the podcast live on stage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We'd fill <Well>. that joint. <laughs> yeah. 
So keep dreaming, Jay. Keep yeah, dreaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it uh, will. We'll, it's a. It's a nice dream to have. But yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it's it's an exciting time when you look at the YMCA facility that's being be built that you know is yeah. under construction. Uh, you know what's happening with the Watertown Wolves hockey team what we're doing with the Watertown Rapids baseball team, uh, the red and black, they just changed leagues. And it's, I was talking to coach Ashcroft last night and he was all excited about, you know, this new league that they're going into and how big that will be. You, you take a look at those sports, the youth sports, um, the facilities that are being built. Now the facility that's being proposed, all of a sudden sports, economics are ramping up significantly here in the north country mm -hmm. and and that's pretty cool you know not as big as agriculture of course but you know we'll certainly take it yeah we'll take all the economic development we can get yeah um, absolutely yeah, that's absolutely. awesome that's awesome so what do you want to well we gotta dive into today <laughs> well uh, you know, just to warn our listeners, uh, we do have a number of agricultural topics that Ron and I have been talking uh, talking about off the air, and uh, each one of them will get Ron and I in trouble. So uh, hang on to your bobby socks as we take this dive into the deep end of the pool, and I'll tell you, the water is ice cold at the moment. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, we could start locally with agricultural assessments, Ron, because you are going through that along with a number of other landowners. Uh, several municipalities here in the county are doing revaluation. Now, Ron, can you explain to me what revaluation means to your knowledge? You know, I was on the town board in Houndsfield a number of years ago. We actually went through a reval process then. That was 20-some years ago, I guess. And I think the last one was done about 10 years ago, uh, for instance, in the town of Houndsfield. And I think the two I know about right this minute, and there's probably some others, I think Rutland went through it last year, uh, Clayton and Hounsfield are going through it this year, and there may be some others. But what it does in the revaluation process is the town assessor then is responsible for uh, taking a look at what property values and home values, uh, property uh, values in general have done since that time that they were done last and each year there's a percentage that's applied to you know uh property assessments are and i think in this case hounsfield had gotten down to around 85 percent or so was the the factor they were putting in saying that you know property values basically had gone up you know by a certain percentage over the last 10 years but that revaluation process is meant to bring property values in line with comp sales and what demand is out there sure, and what value, sure. what property values are bringing. And then of course, it was always my understanding that uh, the tax rate, um, it was always my understanding that once a reval was done, so say your house value went from 200,000 to 250,000. And just let's say, you know, your town and county taxes were $8 a thousand. You know, if you were at 200000 times $8 a thousand, your taxes would be, you know, $1,600, I guess, would be the number if I'm doing the math right. Yeah. But if you, if you went to, to yeah. So, but if you went to 250000 the idea would maybe the tax rate would actually drop. Uh, this is really not meant 
It was never meant for this be a means to just generate a lot more tax revenue. It was really meant to, you know, bring property values in line. Sure. But the potential is there, though, that landowners are going to see their property taxes go up because of revaluation. The potential is there. Yes. And unfortunately, the potential is significant. Okay. Okay. Um, And I think that that mentality, unfortunately, has changed over the years that this is a way to generate more tax revenue for municipalities. Okay. So, so that's where the agricultural value assessment program comes in uh, as being a very valuable tool, tool for agriculture, for uh, folks that own land that is being farmed by eligible farmers. They have the potential to apply for an agricultural value assessment, which should help reduce their property taxes. Yeah, so New York State uh, Ag and Markets and New York State law um, basically puts a cap on certain classifications of farm land so that if you qualify for an ag value exemption, you have to go through a process whereby you have the county soil and water district will evaluate your soil maps for your farmland and they will put a classification on those on those uh, soils for your farm and i think uh for instance class 1a soils which are the very best in the state uh and i know in the town of houndsville we do not have any class 1a soil those are capped at $1,200 an eight, that value. So your local municipalities cannot, you know, if you qualify for that and go through the process, uh, they cannot uh, tax you any more than $1,200 an acre for class 1A. And then it goes on down based on your soil type. And, and that's all based on the ability to grow crops and drainage and you know, close, closeness to bedrock and all those other things. Sure. Now, one, one thing that um, I was reading on this was, and, and I'm not sure that it agrees completely with what you just said, Ron. I thought that the, the end assessment is based on the difference between the, the soil value and the... Um, the um, assessment, where, where the heck is it? I'm trying to find it on my papers here because I, when you said that, it, it, it made me think of this. Um, where the heck is it? Um, well, I may be wrong, but that was my assumption that, that, that put a cap on those values. Yeah, uh, I, think there's, I think there's a factor. I mean, it still ends up being much less than if your land was assessed for the development potential, which is what you know, all other lands are usually assessed at. This, by doing an ag value assessment, it starts the assessment on, and it's actually based on the value of the land for corn production. That's where okay. that's okay. where the state uh, originates that assessed value is on its value for corn production across New York State. And then the assessor has to take that, and I'm still trying to find the damn thing. I had it earlier, and now I can't find it. This, uh, the assessor then takes that figure and uh, uses that to generate the actual assessment on that land. And that land, can, that, that assessment, that ag value assessment, apply, it can apply to all of your land that is currently 
used for agriculture except the house mm-hmm. and up to 50 acres of woodland. Let's say you have 100 acres of woodland. Only 50 acres can receive the ag value assessment. The rest has to be assessed on whatever the assessor would uh, assess uh, woodland for other properties. Um, so it wouldn't receive, you know, the excess uh, woodland would not receive that ag value assessment necessarily. Um, and I'm still, I had it right here. This is going to drive me nuts. But anyways, um, so the soil is, uh, soils are important. And in general, this does help reduce uh, the, the uh, assessment of your land that's in agricultural production. Now, there are, there are criteria in order to receive an ag value assessment. Um, the, let's see, the, the land generally must cons- consist of seven or more acres that were used in the preceding two years for the production for sale of cry- crops, livestock, or livestock products. The annual gross sales of the ag products generally must average $10,000 or more for the preceding two years. If an ag enterprise is less than seven acres, it may qualify if average annual gross sales equal 50000 or more. Uh, horse porting operations qualify if there's certain uh, uh, eligibility requirements met. Um, let's see. There's qualifications for a startup operation um, if it has certain annual gross sales of uh, for its first and second year, um, startup commercial horse boarding operation may qualify. Um, and it can be rented to, yes. you, if you're a landowner and you rent your farmland to a neighboring farm, uh, there's certain criteria there, right? You have yes. to have a five-year lease. Uh, the farmer that you're renting it to has to use it for production ag purposes, generate a certain amount of revenue off it, um, those kinds of things. Am I correct? Yes, you're absolutely correct. And that's that's actually been a very good tool for farmers and landowners uh, to uh, you know be able to obtain land that they don't own to farm is that opportunity to reduce the taxes on that farm's land. So let's say I own 50 acres excuse me, 50 acres, and I have a farmer that wants to farm it, as long as the farmer qualifies for an ag value assessment, I can lease that land, and it has to be a written lease or a rental agreement for five years. Um, It doesn't have to be for a significant amount of money. There's no minimum amount other than there's a written uh, rental agreement. And once that farmer qualifies, once we have that rental agreement for a five-year period, then I can have my land submitted for an ag value assessment, which can help save money on your taxes. Um, Now, uh, we're saying this. There might be some people out there across New York State listening that say, oh, I'm going to go out and do this right now. Well, here, we're... We're talking about this because of a specific issue happening in Jefferson County right now. 
Um, but you're probably too late to apply for an ag value assessment for this year unless your land is being revalued by the municipality. There's still a window of opportunity from what I've been reading. Um, if your town or municipality is going through a revaluation, uh, usually there's a March 1st deadline or earlier to apply for the ag value assessment. But when your land is being revalued, there actually is the opportunity uh, to apply for that ag value assessment up until April 1st. So uh, we did okay. find that uh, yesterday, Ron. Um, okay, okay. Yeah. So there is that window of opportunity. Now, the agency that does the soil, uh, uh, the soil group worksheets, the Soil and Water Conservation District, they have to agree to continue to provide those soil group worksheets until that timeline. And the assessor has to um, uh, agree uh, to, um, you know, uh, to this as well. So it's very important. If your town is going through or your municipality is going through a revaluation right now and you have not applied for an ag value assessment, you should probably call that assessor today and talk to them about it and find out more information. Um, because, you know, it, it is important to have that line of communication with your assessor and then with your soil and water conservation district. Um, very important to do that. Well, I know in, in our town, uh, it has created a lot of concern, a lot of confusion. Uh, letters have gone out. Everybody was given pretty short notice to, uh, there, it wasn't well publicized that a reval process was even happening. Um, and then all of a sudden, everybody started getting these letters around the 1st of February saying that, you know, your taxes are going to go up, but you have these options of, of going through, uh, you know, these certain processes to to mitigate that. And um, it uh, it's, it's really been, uh, well, it's been an issue that's created a lot of concern and uh, and within residents and landowners in, in our town. And I understand the same is happening in Clayton. So, you know, we all sit here these days and, and watch everything we own, the taxes go up and, you know, a considerable portion of people's income goes towards paying taxes. So unfortunately it's a, it is an issue that, that hits pretty close to home. Oh, sure. Yeah. Especially given the you know the situation we have in our economy right now with um, you know with inflation being high the supply chain being all screwed up um, you know there's just a lot of things that when something like this happens where you know the communication may not have been as good and and people are seeing their taxes their property taxes go up it certainly can inflame things very quickly. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, and you have a lot of people on fixed incomes. Right. I mean, we, we rent land from several people that are elderly. Um, you know, they felt they've lived on this land for many, many, many years. You know, they want to, they want to stay there. Uh, you know, in a lot of cases take their last breath on, on the land that they've lived on for so many years. And, becomes harder and harder for them to to own and maintain that property yeah and it does it does and that's where that's where it becomes advantageous if you do have a farmer running your land and they qualify for an ag value assessment it becomes advantageous to to you know uh be able to take advantage of that 
Um, and right. we appreciate it in agriculture because it keeps land available for farming. But yeah, if your property taxes are going up, I'm not looking forward to seeing my tax bill this year because uh, I, I have a feeling mine are going to go up significantly too. And I don't have farmable, well, I have farmable land, but it's in trees. So yeah, um, no, and, and you got to understand too. I mean, our municipal, not to bash our municipalities, I guess too, because they have rising costs as well with everything from equipment to labor to uh, supplies and everything they buy to maintain roads and bridges and and uh, you know and all the other services that municipalities are required to provide to residents. Um, it's not cheap anymore, and. No. Um, you well, know, we just—I'm yeah. sorry. We we just saw uh, one of the um, uh, town highway supervisors uh, here in Jefferson County. Uh, he was just on the TV this morning talking about how they're looking to try and increase uh, funding from the state uh, because the expenses have gotten so high. Uh, the municipalities aren't able to keep up with the costs of maintaining the highways. Uh, so it's, um, it's a real problem out there and, you know, there's, there's no easy solution to this. Um, you know, we, we see, you know, we see proposals to increase taxes. Uh, we just saw a, uh, a report from Cornell university saying that farm workers aren't paid enough. Uh, we know that, um, we know that, uh, New York state is looking at increasing the minimum wage, uh, again, and tying it to, you know, inflation and so on. And we saw a story on Channel 7 saying don't eat, well, reduce the amount of meat because that you eat because it's supposed to be uh, not climate friendly to eat more meat. And then there was a story on Spectrum News about, uh, you know, drink less milk because you got to be climate friendly. So, <laughs> well, you got any other good news? Today? Well, like Lord. I said, we were going to dive deep, and the water is cold right now, Ron. You know. Well, you know. So those those issues you just mentioned. Let's let's pivot over to them for sure, a minute here, sure. because uh, you know, I certainly I'm back on the property taxes. Just to wrap up, I think if anybody does have questions uh, about. Ag value assessments and the reevaluation process. I assume they can contact uh, the real property office. Uh, sure. You know, there must be resources, right? Yeah. So, three places to call for that kind of information. Number one, your local assessor. They're, they're the person that you should have a line of communication with, period. Amen. Second, the real property office for your municipality, for your county. Uh, they can also help answer those questions. And then here in New York State, your soil and water conservation districts are critical to the process of applying for an ag value assessment. So talking to your local soil and water conservation district is also a very important factor. But remember, you know, as Ron and I said, uh, if you're not going through a revaluation, re the deadline has probably passed to apply for this year. Um, if you're going through a revaluation, you should call your assessor right away because we do believe you potentially can apply up until April 1st. But you better get on it and talk to your assessor and double check that information. Sorry, Ron. Long winded. No, no, that's all good information, Jay. <laughs> so, so, you know, we've. 
you and I talked off air here, this kind of feel like kind of this piling on process, right? Oh. All of a sudden we're seeing these news stories pop up on, you know, all these things that are, that farmers are doing that, that are supposedly so bad. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, it's really perplexing when we, when we look at the importance of agriculture on a number of fronts, you know, producing food, environmental, you know, the, the environmental benefits that having farmland and open space create uh, growing crops and what that does to uh, actually improve our climate, take carbon dioxide out of the air, those plants extract it, uh, whether it's trees or corn or whatever the case may be. And, you know, farm animals, beef, dairy, using the manure as, as fertilizer, putting those nutrients back in the soil to grow those crops that are going to pull the carbon out of the air. Uh, you know, we've had Dr. Uh, Mitliner from, uh, from California Davis on uh, the podcast, and, you know, he maintains that agriculture is really getting a bad rap when it comes to this climate process. And I kind of feel on the labor front, the same thing is happening. You know, it's almost like we're an easy target. You know, of course, you have the labor unions behind some of this. They would like nothing better than unionize uh, farm workers. I think a lot of it, though, is just people don't understand the industry and don't understand, you know, we're not a nine-to-five. Farms aren't nine-to-five operations. They're 24-7. You don't turn the lights out and just go home from a farming operation whether it's growing crops or taking care of animals, it goes around the clock. It never stops. Right. And uh, it's, so, you know, if you, if you take those issues, like for example, the, um, this story about the uh, farm labor and the wages that they get paid. Um, so you, you've got a researcher at Cornell who said, you know, said that uh, Mary Jo Dudley, uh, director of the Cornell farm workers program, uh, you know, she was talking about that the wages for farm workers are, you know, are very low. I'm sure there are some that are, you know, just make minimum wage out there when they start. But then they uh, usually farms are raising those wages up once that worker gets trained and starts to be productive and so on. It's, you know, my experience is, is the farms are increasing their wage rate. In fact, some of the farms are paying productivity bonuses and so on. Uh, if your if you're milking team, you know, increases production by so much, they get a, a percentage increase or a bonus or something like that. Um, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of things going on on farms, Jay. I mean, and, and I mean, some of that information is just not factual. I, you know, starting wages currently uh, entry level for farms is is it's very rare anymore that it, somebody starts at minimum wage. And yeah. even if they do, like you said, they move up very quickly. Even the uh, the Hispanic workforce, very few of them start at minimum wage anymore. The competition for labor is too great. Um, you know, it's, I mean, we're starting entry-level people now in that 16 to $18 range. Um, it's just, that's that's where you have to be. Yeah. And To be and, competitive, number one, with other farms yeah, yeah. and with other businesses. Yes. So, I, I mean, 
I really question the validity of some of that data. Now, is there isolated circumstances? Maybe, but, and then the H-2A visa program, those are, there's our farm workers that are here under a federal visa program. Those are, I mean, those wage rates are significantly higher. Their, right. their starting wages are 17 and change. And there's some major changes going to happen there. And that whole process here starting in March. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that uh, we have, uh, we're seeing these negative articles when, in fact, I don't really think they're all that, uh, all that factual and maybe not quite up to date. So. Right. Well, and they all piled on top of each other within a matter of days. Um, and... Uh, you know, if you take a look at the climate change issues, for example, and we are starting to run out of time here, so I, I'll get yeah. through this quick. Um, if you take a look at the climate change, I was just talking to a class at Jefferson Community College about this. Uh, the number of cows have been reducing, and I actually just got a call from a reporter from the Watertown Daily Times this morning about cow numbers, and he was reflecting how cow numbers have drastically re uh, reduced since the 1980s. So if we're reducing cow numbers and you take a look at the amount of methane produced per cow uh, used for milk production or meat production, if we're reducing those cow numbers here in the United States, then it would follow that our climate change impact has drastically reduced during that same amount of time. Correct. But they don't talk about that. So it's it just it gets a little bit facetious when they throw these numbers at you and say, well, eat less meat um, or drink less milk. Well, we're, we're using a lot less cows to do that. So we have been reducing our environmental impact, and yet you're still telling us, oh, it seems to me like there's more of an agenda than what meets the eye. We've got to end the... <laughs> yeah. I need to take another blood pressure pill here, Ron. Yeah. Uh, yes. So, you'll be back next week, sir? Yes, I'll be back. We'll be in studio next week. Yeah. All right. Awesome, sir. Folks, thanks for joining Ron and I on the podcast today, and we hope all of you have a fantastic weekend. Stay safe and drink lots of milk and go get that T-bone steak. Thank you for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America. Make sure to join us weekly. If you have any questions about the show, call Jay at 315-782-5865. For more information, visit www.agricultureevents.com or jcida.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America.